Politics Uncensored with Ali Milani on Fubar Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Politics Uncensored. We took a couple of weeks off. Uh, I'm sure you all desperately, desperately missed me. Um, my neck feels a little bit better, so I'm less like Batman now, um, and I can actually look around the room and see my guests. Uh, we've got a big show this week coming up. Um, mostly, we're going to be talking about Brexit. We've got some some amazing guests coming on. Uh, Anand Menon, uh, Director of UK in a Changing Europe. Uh, we've got Ben Habib, Senior Advisor to Reform. UK and a former MEP and a big Brexiteer uh, and we're going to be discussing some of what's been going on in the press uh, and w- particularly with polling in the last couple of weeks that shows um, seemingly some regret amongst Brexit voters uh, across the UK and we're going to be talking to both of our guests a Remainer and a Brexiteer uh, about that. God help me, we're finally doing Brexit. I held on as long as I could, guys, but we're we're finally doing Brexit. Uh, But before we get into that, we've got a brilliant guest in the studio with us to do the week unwrapped. Uh, Jeremiah Emmanuel, uh, a youth activist, public speaker, entrepreneur, and founder of a new company, Raffle, which we're going to talk about a little bit later on. Jeremiah, welcome to the studio. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How do you feel? Um, I feel amazing today. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Well, I'm glad you could join us uh, in the studio it's always better when we have someone uh, in real life that I can touch and (laughs) and see and speak to not that I will Uh, but we're going to start the show and the week unwrap talking about inflation this week so inflation seemingly has slowed in the last month due to lower energy costs but pressure remains on households with foods restaurants and hotel costs staying high the inflation rate measuring prices changes over time fell to 6.8% in the year to July down from 7.9% in June Uh, low electricity and gas prices drove the drop but price rises in other areas have led to expectations that interest rates will be raised further now as a result of this drop from 6.8% from 7.9 to 6.8% Rishi Sunak has been on a little bit of a tour so he's been in Leicester kind of uh, doing his celebratory tour telling people that his plan to halve inflation by the end of the year is still on track as unlikely um, as it may seem now Jeremiah I just want to get your view uh, on this uh, as it pertains to inflation uh, we were looking at some of the data early on food inflation specifically yeah. uh, is up by 14 percent uh, compared to last year so if you're going into a shop and you're doing your food shopping uh, it's up uh, so if you used to spend 100 pounds you're now spending 115 pounds yeah. uh, electricity prices are obviously the, the those prices are slowing but it's still on its way up uh, you obviously you're a youth activist public speaker entrepreneur you're very much rooted in the ground I think you said you came up from Brixton today yeah um, what's the feeling within the community how hard is inflation hitting real people um, I think inflation it's really hitting um, and I feel you know inflation is slowly coming down however I feel within specific industries um, the prices <laughs> remain the same mm-hmm. um, so it puts a lot of people in a difficult position um I grew up in Brixton, South London. I actually came down from there today from a meeting. And one way that we sort of measured inflation as as kids was going into the local chicken and chip shop. Yeah. <laughs> and I <Mate>. remember... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you, but you said chicken and chip shop. And we've, me, me, me and some of my guys finished playing football the other day. Yeah. And we saw a Sam's chicken and it legitimately triggered me. We used to get two <laughs> for two on Sam's chicken, right? You'd get two strip burgers, two fries for two pounds, yeah? It's like five quid now. It's absolutely ridiculous. And again, as a kid, um, these are things that we never realised. I remember being 15 and maybe on one day it was like one pound for four pieces of of, um, wings and chips. And then the next day it went up to a pound 50. But even just that as an indicator, I think there's another indicator with a Big Mac. Mm -hmm. Um, It's actually a study that looks into the cost of the Big Mac and it raising and decreasing increasing um but yes absolutely ridiculous um and that may sound funny what i've obviously said um but at the end of the day we are in a major cost of living crisis and i just can't understand how as inflation is going down prices are still going up and up and up yeah so i actually think some people might laugh off the chicken and chips thing but the reality is for people i presume people like us growing up in similar areas i grew up um near wembley you grew up in Brixton 
that was lunch and dinner sometimes, yeah. right? So um, if 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 I went to school, I might have got given two pounds for for lunch that day, yeah. and and we'd pop over to the chicken and chip shop. Parents are now having to give five, six, seven pounds, right? And wages haven't gone up with that. So yeah. you're having to spend more to eat, um, and that's hitting people particularly hard. And uh, on top of that, we've got the electricity bills, the gas meters, they're yeah. all going up as well. And one of the things that I want to get across through our experiences is when Rishi goes to Leicester and does this big celebratory issue, you know, this big political uh, event where he's talking about it down from 79 to 6.8%. Obviously, that's moving in the right direction. But Rishi himself, I think, is the richest person in Parliament. He's worth north of £700 million. Pounds. Yeah. Inflation doesn't hit Rishi Sunak. Inflation hits... You, it hits me, it yeah. hits real families, and that's what you're hearing on the ground. Yeah, so um, in terms of that, it's devastating because even the example you gave, um, maybe let's get away from chicken and chips, <laughs> but even, you know, just having a particular amount of money for lunch or... A meal um, deal in Tesco. Yeah, a meal deal in Tesco or, um, you know, the gas and electricity. Um, it's devastating that people are still earning the same and they're now trying to... Um, they, they now have to almost create non-existent money mm-hmm. so that is ridiculous and sad and I think I think the thing with politics for me I feel at the end of the day um, there are not many solutions to a lot of the problems that we face um, but I believe it all lies in perception and reality um, in my book um, Dreaming in a Nightmare I talk about my own lived experiences and the fact that that m- may play a way on the way that I perceive and view the world mm-hmm. um, if decision makers are obviously from alternative backgrounds they will have a different perspective on how they view yeah. the world I think it's important that at times like this um, several different people from several different walks of life need to be involved in a lot of these conversations Um, and it's again we have a political system a party system um, but I think at times like this we really need to unite um, you know whether politicians are from different political parties how can we actually find a way for everyone to go to the table and have a conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you've raised this issue of perspective because we've spoken about it a lot on the show and I've raised it a lot and that is look when you I, I spent again for my sins a lot of time in the House of Commons and in Westminster and the very the first thing you very quickly realise is actually the majority of people in the quote unquote House of Commons are very uncommon the experiences that you're talking about the chicken and chip shop the, the meal deals the the day to day lives that people like you and I would experience are not their experiences and so I've often said in in a large part it's not that they're unwilling to to enact policies or do things that help people they're almost unable because they don't have those perspectives they don't have that experience they don't know what life is like for ordinary folk around the country Um, and so it's almost impossible for them to actually accurately and effectively and passionately deal with the crises that exist in our politics because they're unaware of it right so Rishi Sunak his life and your life are entirely different and your community and his community are entirely different. How can he effectively really tackle the issues that's going on in Brixton when, let's be honest, Rishi Sunak wouldn't be caught dead in Brixton unless there was a political event? <laughs> you, you know what? I think at the end of the day, um, I'm very careful with like pointing fingers within politics mm. because that same perspective that we have about the House of Commons being on common, I can see that across the whole entire House of Commons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, but, uh, by the way... Uh, Labour Party we've, we've got that issue man um, no, yeah, no, it's, no, it's not so a conservative only issue yeah, I'm saying yeah, every yeah. party conservatives oh, no, 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 liberals totally, everyone totally, yeah. but, um, I just like I like having a no, go no, issue no. <laughs> <laughs> totally but what, what I really want to get into is that I feel that when there's certain crisis um, crises in the country I feel that it has to be tackled um, from a, a, a cross-party point of view. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the way that I see it. I feel, I feel whenever there's a, a national emergency, I think we're currently in the middle of one. Yeah. You know, everyone needs to unite together. Um, at the end of the day, we can say, oh, let's get roundtables and focus groups and people to come in sharing their experiences. Mm-hmm. But I've done that for the past decade across a range of different issues yeah. within politics and nothing ever happens. 
Yeah, and um, I, I'm I'm glad you've said the issue on uniting and tackling some of these crises as a group. And that brings us to our next story, which yeah. I think this is as pertinent to as anything, and that's on the issue of net zero. So Tory MPs have begun demanding a referendum on Britain's net zero target, following concerns it will hit the quality of people's lifestyle during a cost of living crisis. Ironically enough, Tory MPs for the first time interested in the life uh, in the cost of living crisis, uh, following a move by Rishi Sunak to make issues like ULEs an election dividing line with Labour. Some Red Wall MPs have urged the PM to go a step further and offer voters the chance to to junk net zero entirely. Now, for those listening, the net zero target is obviously an emissions target across the UK. And um, originally, what scientists were saying was we had to hit net zero by 2030. Obviously, politicians moved that back to 2050. (laughs) And even that 2050 now seems to be at risk. As a youth activist... You know, you will know better than most the impacts of climate change. How frustrating is it now that you've got, and I don't want to make it partisan because, you know, it's not just here in the UK, but we've seen it in America and others, politicians actively working against what is already a delayed target into reducing emissions around the country and burning the planet. Yeah, I think it's ridiculous. Let, Let me ask you a bit of a personal question. How old will you be in the year 2050? Uh, what year are we now? 23. Uh, wow, you're making me do live maths. I'll be <laughs> uh, 50, 51. Okay, yeah. cool. So, um, yeah, I'll be 51, 52. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's now shock from everyone listening or watching this that me and you are similar ages. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the reason I ask that question is because I feel if we're working towards hitting particular targets or working towards tackling issues super, super far into the future, why aren't the majority of people that are going to be affected by these issues involved in the conversation? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the thing that stands out for me, um, that in all of this chaos, you know, we're definitely seeing the impact of climate change currently across the world. In the past couple of weeks, it's been um, absolutely crazy. Some of the things that have happened in different parts of the world mm-hmm. in terms of wildfires and, and, and heat and so on. Um, Just on, on the heat, we recorded... Th- one of the highest ever temperatures on the earth since record began in the Persian Gulf, uh, I think in the 60, 70 degrees range, which is uninhabitable for human beings to survive. So, so imagine that. So this goes back to my original point. Whoever is being affected by particular issues has to be at the center of the conversations mm-hmm. around those issues. Um, and I don't think enough is being done at, at this time being um, to get more young people actually involved in the decision making around it. Yeah. Um, again, I'm, I'm not saying that we need to get um, half of the House of Commons filled with young people, yeah. even though I would love it. Half is you not know. nearly enough. Yeah. <laughs> I used to be in the UK Youth Parliament. Yeah. Um, but but again, in, in some of these rooms, um, in, in some of these conferences, again, with the talking and the talking and talking, it isn't yeah. enough. Well, you know? I, th- I think what, what's happening is, uh, and I saw this described, ironically enough, on TikTok. I promise I'm not trying to sound young, but I saw it on TikTok. I have TikTok <laughs> now. Um, but uh, someone referred to it as, politicians can no longer deny climate change, so they're attempting to delay. Mm. Um, and... The, the biggest problem I think in the climate discussions has been not so much uh, people denying it but um, they try and petty fog it and push it back so they often tell you well this is a problem for grandchildren and grand and great grandchildren right and we have a cost of living crisis now so we have to tackle this now but the issue of climate change isn't one of the future it will very much happen in our lifetime and it's already yeah. happening right Pakistan saw floods where a third of the country was underwater uh, our coastal lines will move very much within our lifetime yeah so as a young a youth activist if you were talking if you had a plea to the house of commons to politicians to decision makers and not just politicians but conglomerate leaders they're the heads of multinational companies who who are involved in this as well as a young person whose life and your community is going to be affected to, by this what would your plea to them be to please leave us a planet (laughs) like to literally leave us a planet Um, again we're going down a very very dark road Um, and again we are going to be in their shoes in the future Um, and it's just the realisation that at the end of the day 
when 2050 comes a lot of yeah. them may be gone yeah. you know what I mean so you're making decisions on things that may affect the whole world um, even in the time that you leave yeah. the world I guess you know the, I mean? the so point is give us a chance to save it exactly, right? don't make things exactly. so bad where, whereby when our time comes we don't have a chance to even save uh, make an it, impact exactly and I, I feel when it comes to discussing solutions and looking into ways um, of tackling climate change there are so many different solutions mm-hmm. however it goes back to the perspective thing right um, people will only prioritise um, um, whatever they feel is best from their perspective yeah. and this is why my whole thing around involving people cross party having discussions is super important so we can have all of these different perspectives hopefully yeah. working together to save the world okay and, and speaking of the future the final story uh, of the piece and I want to get a little bit about your work as well so we'll do this bit quickly uh, we've got lots of conversation around Brexit coming with our next two guests uh, and the final story is on Brexit it's that nearly half of Britons want a second Brexit referendum in the next 10 years a new YouGov poll has revealed more than a quarter of people support a referendum as soon as the end of 2023 Christ uh, in a survey taken between the 8th to the 9th of August 46% of people said that there should be a referendum in the next 10 years while 36% of people said there should not uh, I've done lots of Brexit discussions uh, around the country on different platforms uh, often Brexit discussions are by you know people let's be kind and say in their 80s and 90s right uh, obviously it's an issue that that critically affects um young people what's what's your position on uh, on where brexit has taken us uh and and the view of particular from a young perspective of what needs to be done well i remember waking waking up on the day that um the referendum was announced I think I actually missed my voting age by about seven days right. to the actual vote. So I wasn't actually able to participate. Um, and I remember just feeling, well, we're out of the EU, but at least the NHS is going to get millions of more pounds. And at least this is going to happen or that is going to happen. And years down the line, none of the stuff that was sort of proposed within that campaign actually came true. Yeah, remember um, that Boris stood in front of that bus and said three hundred and fifty million pounds going to go back to the NHS. No, no, exactly. He's a waste man, isn't it? Just say it. Just say it for me. It's okay, man. <laughs> your arch, your arch nemesis. It's all right. He's um, no, he's no, but it's true. Somewhere. These these are the promises that that were made. Um, and my only reservation and. This is why sometimes I I sort of give up on politics and that's because I feel that even if we had another referendum and I want to get your thought on this, even if we have another referendum and um, the population vote for us to rejoin the European Union, I don't actually believe that a lot of the things that will be campaigned upon and a lot of the things that are, are said to happen after the referendum on either end of the spectrum mm-hmm. will actually come true. Yeah. And that is my only issue with politics over the years where we're promised one thing and then we're delivered another. Yeah. Um, and I've sort of given up in a way because I do think if we were part of the EU, um, we wouldn't be in the current state that we're currently in by far. But at the same time, I feel that if we rejoin the EU, um, I'm not necessarily sure that a lot of the promises that will come with that will actually be delivered. Yeah, I think that's true. And look, uh, one of the things that's interesting is in the post-Brexit world, one of the key things that have happened in the UK is trust in politicians has nosedived across the spectrum. From, right, yep. not yep. left, right, Labour, Conservative, Lib Dem. There is a general consensus that that trust in politics is at a real low. Um, I think that's a result of, to be honest, I think we've got some really poor quality politicians across the board in my party and in the Conservative Party. Um, I don't think there's enough accountability in the media. People, like for example, I used <laughs> I used Boris as an example, right? <laughs> But the guy lied year after year from being uh, a journalist to being a MP to uh, becoming mayor of London to standing to become prime minister of the country. He lied again and again. And rather than hold him accountable, they promoted him. Right. And, And so Boris was a creature of our own making, if you will, largely because he's entertaining. He's a buffoon and he gets clicks and likes and he's box office. He's Hollywood, if you will. Um, 
and in that sense, I think what's that's created is exactly what you're saying, right? And and that's what I hear on the streets yeah, is that people no are saying trust. they're all the fucking same. So what's the point? Um, and I think that's really, really dangerous. And I'll tell you why I think yeah. it's dangerous. Because when we say they're all the fucking same, and when we hear that on the doorstep, we kind of take a step away from politics because we think, what's the point? Whether I vote here or there, yeah. they all say the same things. They all do the same things. And the reality is my life doesn't change. But what that does is it leaves power in the hands of the sort of establishment, sort of billionaire, multinational corporations um, who who have the air of government and the air of people in power. And I think that creates a sort of apathy in our political system. I would rather replace the apathy with anger, right? This this is why I, I again, I totally agree. Um, but this is why I encourage as many young people as possible to engage in the political process. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if we had a massive uplift in yeah. the amount of young people, maybe under the age of 25, who are actually turning up, going yeah. out there to vote, <laughs> the party yeah. manifestos. That's uh, look. That's what we. That's <laughs> one of the change. Absolutely, exactly. You, you got to hold I mean? their feet to fire. And I think, you know, it, first of all, I, I'm a big believer in votes at 16. I think if someone yeah, can die definitely. for this country, they can vote for this country. Definitely. But the other, the other point as well is we can't keep sending the same people to Westminster and expect a different result. It's like conveyor belt, man. They cu- like genuinely. You know, when you go to the airport and you see the 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 suitcases come out when you land, yeah, the politicians are exactly the same, man. They all come <laughs> from Eton or what's the other one? Uh, Harrow School They go to Oxford or Cambridge And then they walk Into the House of Commons They all sound the same They all have the same Similar experiences David Cameron Theresa May Boris Johnson George Osborne Liz Trust Rishi Sunak These are all Exactly the same person There's no difference Between them And I think uh, I'm really glad You had your call To arms Essentially for people To get involved in politics Because if people From our communities From Brixton From Wembley From the chicken shops That we talk about (laughs) Don't get involved It's going to be Continued to be 700 million pound Rishi That that, that handles things uh, before I let you go we've run out of time I, I've had a great time having you in the studio and your perspective has been amazing you. tell me a little bit about, about about Jeremiah and the work that you're doing particularly with Raffle um, so I'm Jeremiah I'm the author of Dreaming in a Nightmare which is a memoir slash manifesto looking into inequality in the UK and how we can tackle it um, I'm also the founder of Raffle Real Authentic Fans for Life um, it's a brand new startup that brings social media campaigns to life in the real world our, nit- our nickname is Pokemon Go for Brands mm-hmm. um, and I want more, more young people out outdoors enjoying themselves um, spending less time, you know, driving around and just going into local parks. So I've created this startup to try and get people outdoors. Amazing. And you've promised to help me with TikTok. A million percent. We've got that. <laughs> We're going to start tonight. <laughs> We've, got, We've got that on air. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's Jeremiah Emanuel, youth activist, public speaker, entrepreneur, and founder of a brand new company, Raffle. Uh, you can follow Jeremiah on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok, as we've just said. Joining me next, we've got Anand Menon, a director of UK in a Changing World, where we're going to continue our conversation around Brexit. He's going to join us after this message. FUBAR Radio presents The Dating Show. So we have got the incredible Sunita. How does Sunita whittle down the people she wants to talk to to the people she doesn't? What's your criteria? Well, you've got to be an adult. Um, <laughs> okay. That's always a good start. Always a good start. But when I'm an adult, not just like 18, you've got to be like not young enough to be my child. Um, you have to ideally be London-based, because I am. Yeah. Although I wouldn't mind if you've got a country pad. That would be nice. So at the minute we're going with age and location are important. Age and location are good. Every Friday from 6pm. FUBAR Radio. Welcome back. This is Ali Malani on Politics Uncensored. We've just had a great chat with Jeremiah. It's so good, man, when we have real people in the studio rather than the media-trained robots I sometimes get uh, from the political parties. Uh, but it was really interesting to get Jeremiah's perspective from everything from the net zero targets, inflation, to Brexit. And we're going to stay uh, on Brexit because it's been three years since the UK officially left the European Union. And now a recent YouGov poll has suggested that nearly half of Britons want a second Brexit referendum. Uh, in the next 10 years. In addition, the poll found that almost half of people thought Brexit wasn't done yet. Brexit regret, otherwise known as regret, 
what is regret <laughs> Brexit regret seems to be at an all time high uh, and we can't afford a good pun uh, or avoid a good pun even Nigel Farage has said that Brexit has failed uh, so what's going on and what do we actually need in the, another EU referendum joining me now is Anand Menand director of UK in a changing Europe uh, Anand thank you so much for joining us so either Brexit is, nice to be here Brexit is done isn't done is Brexit done in your view no, I mean, Brexit will never be done because the EU is a continental sized economy. It's right next to us. We're always going to be worried about our relationship with it. We're going to be negotiating with them essentially forevermore. So one of the things that this YouGov poll has sparked is another discussion on another referendum. The suggestion yeah. here from the poll is that a majority of people actually do want um, another referendum within uh, the next 10 years, or nearly half of Britons want another a second Brexit referendum uh, in the next 10 years. Now, there'll be some listening that goes, yes, we absolutely need it. We, you know, the, 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 the climate has changed, um, the variables have changed, and if people had a right to vote then, they have a right to vote now, or at least within the next 10 years, given all that we know. But there'll be a whole other group of people not brexiteers who will be thinking i don't know if you remember that famous clip of that woman being told about the general election being oh god not another one um who'll be thinking we just can't afford to go down this divisive road again what's your view on a second referendum within the next 10 years my my view on that polling is it's a bit like you know i intend to start eating healthily but i probably won't do it tomorrow right uh and what what you find with polls like this you find it in scotland lots of people are saying we should have a second independence referendum in the next five years it's just the next five years never quite arrive. Mm-hmm. So I think I just, my suspicion about this poll is a lot of people think, yeah, at some point we should have another vote. I suspect if you said to them, would you like another six months like we had at the start of 2016? A lot of them might rethink. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what is what is not at doubt is, I think, the fact that a lot of people are quite unhappy with how Brexit is going at the moment. Yeah, that's uh, that seems that, to be that seems to be actually the 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 essence that these polls are picking up. Uh, another YouGov poll suggested one in five Brexit voters uh, regrets that decision and has since changed yeah. their mind. Um, I think even if I had Nigel Farage, Boris Johnson, and later on we've got Ben Habib from the Reform Party on the show, they will all admit that Brexit hasn't gone the way it was dreamed. Now they will use different excuses as to why, but it seems to be that that the theme being picked up by these polls is uh, a little bit of regret some uh, some worry about the future and a consensus that Brexit hasn't gone well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that a lot of the Leave voters who are now saying it's not going well still believe it will. So you'll find, I think, a majority of Leave voters when you ask them will say, you know, Brexit can still be turned around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, one of the issues around Brexit at the moment, it's very hard to differentiate between different things causing things to happen. And our economy is in a bit of a mess at the moment and figuring out why is quite difficult. And so a lot of people, I think, are putting two and two together and coming up with five. Brexit isn't responsible for the cost of living crisis. It makes it slightly worse, but it's certainly not the driving force. And I do wonder, you know, if you think one, two, three years ahead, if our economy starts doing better, will the people who are now saying Brexit isn't working say, oh, this is great. This is because of Brexit. I mean, equally misleading, but I I just wonder how stable these numbers are, to be honest. Do you think there is any real appetite to reverse the decision on leaving the, the European Union? At least, let's say, in my for my generation, could we see a world in which we rejoin one day? Uh, well, remember, I mean, the first thing to remember about that question is whether or not we rejoin is not just up to us. That is to say, we don't simply bung an application in, have a referendum and then rejoin. The EU is going to have a say. They're going to negotiate with us. They've got a lot of problems at the moment with migration and all sorts of other things. And they've got a queue of people wanting to join, not least Ukraine. So, you know, one of the things that will make it hard is whether the EU is willing and ready to have us in. I think in terms of our debate, it's hard to see us having a proper debate along those lines in the next 10 to 15 years, to be honest, just given the position of the two main parties. Uh, Labour don't want to talk about Brexit and the Tories certainly don't want to talk about rejoining. And I'm not sure how quickly that will shift. And you spoke about the fact that the cost of living crisis uh, isn't as a result um, of Brexit. And I think I largely mm-hmm. uh, agree with you. I don't think that's that's a point of opinion. I think there's there's facts out there as to the driving causes of the cost of living crisis. But the reality is, I think what what some of the data shows is that Brexit certainly hasn't helped. And if anything, has made things worse. So British mm-hmm. firms are certainly pessimistic post-Brexit. The Department for Business uh, and Trade survey of 3,000 companies revealed three out of five 
five now think that free trade deals will have no positive impact. And remember, free trade deals were the magic bullet during the campaign that they said, you know, this is what would open up our economy. That's up from 54% last year. Um, And 61% of Britons think Brexit has left the country worse off. Surely... You know, we had an open wound with the cost of living crisis and Brexit has just shoved a hand in it. Yeah, it's took a bit of salt in that wound. There's no doubt about it. I mean, if you make trade with your largest trading partner more difficult, slower, more expensive, it's going to have an impact on inflation. Similarly, because, similarly, because, you know, if you make it harder for Europeans to come here at a time when there's labor shortages, it's going to make those shortages worse, and that might end up pushing wages up and therefore, in fact, impacting on inflation. I don't think there's any doubt that Brexit has made inflation slightly worse. I just think that the majority of our inflationary problems are for things like, because of things like the war in Ukraine and stuff like that. They're the main drivers, but Brexit hasn't helped. So one of the difficulties with Brexit has been because it was such a tough campaign and post-campaign period, there seems to be, and I think you've highlighted this already, a a fear to even discuss the topic. The Tories don't want to go near it for fear of second referendum, but also for fear of explaining the mess that Brexit has caused in certain industries. Uh, Labour are terrified of it because they don't don't have a position. Uh, We don't have a position. I'm I'm, I'm a very, you know, I'm in the Labour Party and uh, (laughs) I'll even, I'll be honest with you, when I ran in 2019, you know, the the policy was were very difficult to articulate on the doorstep. Uh, the liberal, <laughs> the liberal, was. the liberal Democrats are like that old toy of Woody from Toy Story. You just pull a string and they say second referendum or rejoin. How do you think we can improve the Brexit discussions in 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 the country, in our politics, in the media, and even amongst ordinary people? Because it seems to have become two football teams: one wears red, one wears blues, and we just throw things at each other. Brexit isn't going to, to go away. We're going to have to talk about it over the next decade. How do we improve the discussions? and therefore the decisions being made. Well, let me say several things on the back of what you just said. Firstly, I think you were a bit unfair about the Lib Dems because the Lib Dems are part of the club that doesn't want to talk about Brexit. I know that back in 2019 with Joe Swinson, it was, you know, reverse the referendum, let's rejoin. But the Lib Dems won't talk about Brexit either now. Uh, the problem is all the parties have got a good reason not to talk about it. The Tories, it's a difficult time to talk about Brexit because so many people think it's responsible for a cost of living crisis. Labour don't want to talk about it because they want to scare off potential leave supporters who might vote Brexit this time. So I think in a way for that debate to happen, we're going to have to wait a while. How do you make the debate better? You make it an honest one which is what we have so infrequently in our politics. You talk about, you know, it is perfectly plausible that you can say, I want us to be sovereign. There's going to be an economic cost. I'm willing to pay that price. That's a perfectly sort of sensible position. Mm-hmm. But you need to be honest. And t- at the moment, there are too many Brexiters saying it's not had any Im- any impact at all. And too many Remainers saying it'll be very simple to join and the EU is absolutely fantastic and we should embrace everything it does. So, th- you know, there's there's too, it's the, the, the debate is dominated by the two extremes. Yeah. And that I, means I, that very... There's, but I also think it's because so people like myself. I'll give you my position, right? I voted to remain. I I, I really did believe that we should have stayed in the European Union, um, but we we lost that debate. We lost that referendum. And my position had always has been more in recent years that we've lost that referendum. We've lost that debate. I don't think we can go revisit it at least in the short to medium term future. So we have to have a political yeah. discussion about the best decisions to make in a post Brexit British future. But yeah. we seem to have been a little bit snookered because then we get attacked from the pro Remain side saying no you should be fighting to rejoin and attacked from the leave side so i think that's part of the difficulty no yeah and that was part of the difficulty you know you think about those three four years in parliament when parliament was trying to figure out brexit that was exactly the problem was that the 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 debate split very quickly into the no deal brexit camp and the second referendum camp and the center ground sort of got trampled in between them yeah and that is a kind of what's happening now is if you start talking about closer relationship with the European Union, you're absolutely right. The Brexiters will will, will scream betrayal Mm -hmm. uh, and the rejoiners will say, hang on a sec, there's only one thing we should do, and that's rejoin the European Union. So talking about how to make the best out of Brexit, what sort of relationship with the European Union we can have, not as a member state, but as a state that wants to trade a bit more easily with them, is proving a very, very hard discussion to have. And uh, I've got uh, Ben Habib joining me later. So he's uh, he's an okay. advisor to, to, to Reform uh, UK, big Brexiteer. I've debated him before. Um, I, I Ben, I, I hope if you're listening, I hope I'm not. You know, you can tell me if I'm if I'm taking your positions um, out of line, and I'm sure he'll correct me later on. I don't think I am. But people like Ben, people like Nigel Farage, will say that it's not Brexit the idea that's the problem. It's in its implementation. 
Uh, and they will yeah. point to things like the UK is now set to retain EU safety marks, uh, which is a climb down post um, Brexit, that the food yeah. checks and other things have been delayed to October. And essentially their view is that, that the Brexit that was dreamed of, the, the ideal sort of independent, sovereign, free trade Britain has been betrayed by Parliament. And so it's not Brexit that's the problem. It's, it, it's in its implementation. Do you give any weight to that argument? Not particularly, no. I mean, yes, there were some people who wanted a different sort of Brexit to the one we've got. There were some people who wanted a Brexit that was no relationship at all with the European Union, deregulate the UK economy. But actually, if they'd gone out and said that in 2016, they wouldn't have won the referendum. And one of the problems with Brexit is there were lots of different arguments used by the Leave camp. There were some Leavers who said we're going to control immigration. We're going to be in control of immigration, but not cut it. There were others who said we're going to be in control of immigration and cut it. One of those groups was going to be upset after the referendum. Mm -hmm. So I think partly because there were so many different arguments used in favour of Brexit, lots of people who voted Brexit are now saying this isn't my Brexit. But the fact of the matter is for the British people, I think, you voted on a certain prospectus and that hasn't really materialised. And so you can understand why public opinion is drifting in the way it has, because of the sense that, you know, we were promised that everything would be better. You know, we'd have shorter waiting lists in NHS hospitals after Brexit, mm -hmm. for instance. Now, part of this is a question of timing. You know, we've had COVID. Uh, this is coming on the back of 10, 12 years of austerity. The NHS isn't in a great shape. But you can understand why people are starting to think, hang on, this isn't what we've written on the side of that bus. Yeah, and also I think on the issue of immigration, so much was made of immigration during the Brexit campaign, when in reality the sort of immigration people were talking about, it wasn't really Brexit. And so now we're talk now they're shouting stop the boats, and I think a lot of Brexit voters are are, are well, <coughs> go ahead. Well, what I'd say to that is leave the boats to one side because that sort of. Uh, people desperately coming over here to seek asylum uh, is a different issue. But if you just think about legal immigration, people coming here to work, one of the apparent paradoxes of Brexit is we left the European Union. Lots of people thought we'd left the European Union to cut immigration. And the figures from last year showed the highest ever recorded number of net immigration immigration on record, 600,000 plus. Uh, now, some Brexiters say, well, that's exactly what we wanted. What we wanted was not to stop immigration, but, but right. a points-based system that yeah. let us choose the immigrants we want. Yes, uh, yeah. But of course, people like Nigel Farage are saying, no, that's not what I want. I supported Brexit, or I supported Brexit to cut immigration. Mm -hmm. And uh, And so... The reality is it's unlikely that the debate improves or moves on, surely, as, as you know, you're saying we've got the highest net migration figures. So people like Nigel Farage are, continue, are going to continue to bang that drum. So what I'm going to yeah. ask you is something you might not want to, to do, but I would, uh, if you just take a, a whack at it, is, is predict what the next five years are going, to, are going to look like. Are we going to continue going round and round in this debate, converse, uh, in this debate over Brexit, or are we going to see any tangible well, difference? I mean, I think the crucial variable there is the next election. If the Conservatives win the next election, which doesn't look likely at the moment, then I think we're, gonna, we're not going to have a debate about Brexit. I think if Labour win the next election, they've said they want a closer relationship with the European Union, then I think this debate will start to spark up, not least because a large proportion of Labour members are very pro-Remain. Uh, and there are a lot of Labour members who are saying, why isn't Keir Starmer? of being more ambitious in his EU policy. So I think within the Labour Party, and if Labour are in government, that's within the governing party, we'll see that debate start. I don't think we're going to get near talking about whether we should rejoin or anything like that, but I think there's more chance of a serious debate under Labour. And of course, the final thing I'd say is, with each passing year after Brexit, more and more companies are saying, this is what it has done to us. So we're no longer talking about forecasts, we're talking about impacts. And I think that changes the debate as mm -hmm. well. As you said, a lot of companies are coming out and saying, actually, you know what, this is quite hard. Trading with the European Union is a lot more difficult than it was, and it's causing us problems. And I think that will change yeah. things slowly and more well. com and more complex um, than it was presented. Yeah. Uh, certainly during the referendum. Uh, well, thank you so much. That was Anand Menon, Director of UK in a Changing Europe, who I think actually has put Brexit and the discussions around Brexit more concisely, articulately, uh, and fairly than anyone I've spoken to in a really, really long time. So, Anand, thank you so much uh, for joining well, thank us. Thank you. I hope to speak soon. That was Anand Menon, Director of UK in a Changing Europe. Coming up next. 
Next, uh, we've got Ben Habib, a senior advisor to Reform UK and a former MEP, a uh, big Brexiteer, uh, who's going to join us to talk a little bit less about the details of, uh, for example, what me and Anand have spoken about uh, right now around inflation and, and British businesses. I'm sure, though, I'm sure that will come up. But we're actually going to talk a little bit about this Brexit regret and whether uh, Ben thinks that there's any real weight towards it whether someone his side maybe have changed their mind um, and whether Brexit has failed and who's responsible Uh, Ben is going to be joining me right after this FUBAR Radio presents Let's Access All Areas There was an interesting no-show I thought in Harry Styles apparently he didn't come because uh, both Olivia Wilde his ex-girlfriend and Emily Emrata uh, was uh, was there too and he was pictured kissing her recently in Japan um, Lucky care I, Apparently he avoided because best not to be around two women you've recently been with I guess if you're Harry Styles See if I would have been there I'd have said to both of them piss off (laughs) (laughs) Harry let's go and have a gin and tonic so joining us now we have Count Binface an independent space warrior I just wanted to quickly ask you one last question Uh, let's say you had won that election and you became prime minister you know what are some of the big things you'd like to change what are some of the big things you believe in that our politics needs well why don't we talk about the old royal family Uh, because you know I I don't wish to uh, abolish them like some people do no 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 I merely wish to solidify their ceremonial role so that they become the living, breathing version of Madame Tussauds that deep down the public wants. Again, I've been out on dates where people have gone, oh, like, what, what do you do? Why do they want pictures? And then I'll just go, oh, listen, I'll do little bits on TV, that's it. Um, and then two hours later, when they've had a few drinks, they start going, so tell me what happened with this girl. What happened with this? What happened with that? And I think, I thought you didn't know. Well, this is why I think I struggle with my date life because I never, I've, I just see myself as me. You know, I'm from Oxford, moved to London. That's it. I have a great group of friends. That's as simple as my life is. When I go to date someone, I don't see myself as, oh, I'm um, a girl that works on TV. I just see myself as me. But then I'm reminded by some of the things that they might do. You're listening to Fubar Radio. Fubar Radio. Fubar Radio. Fubar Radio. Fubar Radio. Welcome back. This is Ali Milani on Fubar Radio with Politics uh, Uncensored. Back after a two-week break, and we're talking about Brexit. We missed politics so much that we thought we'd dive into the most contentious issue in British politics, uh, certainly uh, in the UK over the last um, few years. We've spoken uh, most recently to Anand Benon, director of a UK in a changing Europe, uh, where we discussed some of the polling that's coming uh, out of YouGov uh, and the Department for Business and Trade. But next, we have Ben Habib, senior advisor to Reform UK and former MEP um, and someone who was a staunch uh, Brexiteer during the election and continues uh, to be a supporter of Brexit. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. It's always it's always good to have a good debate with you. You're always a good sport. Um, I, I, I wanted to start off by talking about um, this most recent poll that I spoke to Anand about before you joined, um, which is suggesting that nearly half of Britons want a second Brexit referendum in the next 10 years. I've got to be honest with you, it's not a poll that I recognised. Um, uh, you know, when I've spoke, gone around the country, I've not heard a clamouring for a second referendum. Is it the same with you, or do you think that is true? I mean, I think the reality um, is that no one is happy with the Brexit deals that we've got. You know, if you're a Remainer, you're looking at it thinking we're not close enough to the EU. If you're a Brexiteer, you're looking at it thinking we haven't broken free yet. And there are a few things that are particularly offensive to Brexiteers, one of which is Northern Ireland being left behind in the European single market for goods, subject to, you know, European laws made in Brussels, adjudicated by their court. Um, And then, of course, a whole host of other obligations to comply with effectively their state aid laws, competition laws, environmental laws, employment laws. Um, having made a commitment, even though the ECHR has nothing to do with the EU, we made a commitment to remain in the ECHR, 
in the trade and cooperation mm -hmm. agreement that Boris Johnson signed. And we've also committed to joining Horizon Europe, which again, Remainers will say is great. And people like me will say, well, actually, it's a politically motivated research program, including European defense funding for military interoperability. So no matter which side of the debate you're on, looking at it, thinking that's not what I wanted, <laughs> you know. So, but um, I, wonder, I wonder if you could do this. Listen, the reality is I think most of the audience listening to me, at least on my show, will be probably be more on the Remain side. Um, and and you're, always quite, <laughs> you're, always, you're always quite articulate on this, so I, I want them to hear your perspective. Um, you, you've, you've spoken about, uh, because they might not have, you've, you've spoken about this struggle to break free. Could you put that, yeah. in a short sense, what are some of the biggest failures from a Brexiteer's perspective as to how we haven't broken free sure well, one of the I, I think one of the most important promises made by any politician in any of the four plebiscites that preceded eventually technically leaving the eu was boris johnson's declaration in the conservative party manifesto that the country would leave the european union as one united kingdom for me you know and, and I think for Brexiteers, that's a fundamentally important thing, that the union of Great Britain and Northern Ireland should leave the EU as one integrated country. And uh, as a result of the Brexit deal, we've put a border down the Irish Sea. It's well trailed now in the media. It was less well understood back in 2019, but it's very well understood now. I brought a court case against the government which adjudicated that the Act of Union, the very constitutional act that created the United Kingdom, um, has been basically broken. Article 6, which requires that Great Britain and Northern Ireland are on an equal footing as to trade between each other and that no sovereign, uh, no future sovereign would um, sign a treaty that would undermine that commitment. That Article 6 of the Act of Union was set aside. Um, sadly, though, the Supreme Court adjudicated that notwithstanding the breaking of that key constitutional document, actually the Withdrawal Agreement Act, which gave, uh, you know, gave rise to the Withdrawal Agreement and then the Northern Ireland Protocol, was all legal. So we've got a situation where Northern Ireland has been left behind, uh, you know, to a very significant extent in the EU. Great Britain, so Scotland, Wales and England, has has broken freer from the EU, but it's a situation which I find abominable. And um, it needn't have been this way. You know, Remainers will argue that the Good Friday Agreement prohibits a border. I've heard it said many times by Remainers, erroneously, that the Good Friday Agreement prohibits a border on the island of Ireland. Actually, the Good Friday Agreement recognizes that border. That was the whole purpose of the Good Friday Agreement. It was for the Irish government, in effect, to recognise the existence of Northern Ireland and, and the border that separates it from Northern Ireland. Of course, there's a common travel area, and of course, you want the freest possible flow of goods north-south. But the constitutional setup of the United Kingdom was undermined by Brexit. If that isn't too long an answer, Ali. No, 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 no. I was, I was interested listening in. What, yeah. One of the bits I want to pick up, though, is, and I predicted, if you go back and listen, I, I predicted that your position would be, as you've said, that um, it's not Brexit, the idea that's failed, it's the implementation of by the political leaders. Yeah. Polling has suggested that trust from voters uh, on handling Brexit is pretty much where you are. So 19% of people trust the Tories to handle Brexit, and 17% of people trust Labour to handle Brexit. I guess criticisms towards yourself and other senior Brexiteers will have been well who else was going to manage it the the issue was whether you believe the theory of brexit as as if whether you're a remainer or a brexiteer the reality was it was always going to be one of these big two parties that was going to handle brexit and so we were flung into political wilderness and political chaos our country with two political parties who were inherently never going to deal with it well well uh, you know, uh, people accuse, on both sides of the debate, people accuse each other of having lied. You know, our side say Osborne lied about, the pro you know, what would happen if we voted for it. Cameron lied. Yeah. Mark uh, Carney lied. And, and, so a, and a big and red bus. on the other side say Boris Johnson lied. Michael Gove lied. You know, and everyone says everyone's a liar. But what we do have is a very clear undertaking in the Conservative Party manifesto of 2019 
um, that declaration that I cited, as well as other declarations saying that we would take back control of our laws, our borders, our cash and our fish. And Boris Johnson then won an 80 seat majority. Um, you know, something we haven't seen in British politics for, uh, you know, since Blair won his landslide. Yes, but the context of that majority was very different, wasn't it? It was, it wasn't just that people believed in the idea of Brexit, but they wanted the issue to be done over, move on. There was a lot of fatigue around it. There was absolutely, we had Brexhaustion, as I used to call it. (laughs) And, um, and, uh, and, and, uh, but, but he had the ability to deliver it. And sadly, Boris Johnson simply, I actually don't think Boris Johnson believes in Brexit. If you look at, um, if you look at the speech that he made after the referendum was won by the Leave side in 2016, you see he was the, the morning after the vote, he looks shocked. Yeah. He looks downhearted. He did not look like a man who exhausted. was happy about winning. No, he looked beaten. And um, I did say, to be fair to myself, if I'm going to be fair to myself, no one else is, I suppose. <laughs> um, I did say back in 2019, that the draft withdrawal agreement that he had uh, laid out uh, for us to review before the election, and which he then implemented after the election, I did say that that agreement was worse than remaining in the European Union, because it would leave Northern Ireland bereft. That was the word I used. And it also then tied us up into all these other obligations that I mentioned. And I still think we would have been better off not to have signed the withdrawal agreement, to have stayed in the EU under the terms that we were a member of the EU back in 2019 Mm -hmm. and fought for a proper withdrawal agreement. It was not beyond Boris, by the way, who, who, who modeled himself as a Churchillian figure. It would not have been beyond him to having won the election to say Actually, the withdrawal agreement was negotiated when I had one hand tied behind my back. We had Parliament in disarray. I don't know if you remember the Ben Act early, which prohibited Boris Johnson from leaving the EU uh, uh, without a deal. Do you remember that? That was something that mm-hmm. uh, Hillary Benn yeah. championed and managed to get through Parliament. I was on, I was on the College ben Green Act. when that happened. I remember that. Yeah, and he could have blamed the Ben Act and said, you know, one hand was tied behind my back. And now that I've got a majority... I'm going to mm-hmm. deliver the Brexit that I actually promised in the manifesto. I, so but I actually didn't. I actually yeah. agree with you. I, as you know, I have spent a lot of time uh, on the topic of Boris Johnson against Boris Johnson. I agree with you. I don't think he was an actual Brexiteer. I think he used it as a as a as a political tool to further his 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 yeah. ambitions, which turned out to be successful, semi successful for him at the end. Yeah. I wonder. Uh, you're obviously history is a really bad prime <laughs> Do. <laughs> What's your perspective on him as a historical figure as it pertains to Brexit? Do you see him as one of the betrayers of Brexit? Um, as yeah, I think people, absolutely, people will come to see him. Uh, I mean, forget about Brexit. I think people will come to see him as someone who uh, w- wanted power more than he really understood what he wanted to do with power once he got it. And he didn't just, you know, muck Brexit up, which is disastrous because of the constitutional implications of what he did. But he then recognized the mess he'd made, refused effectively to fix it. And um, you might remember the internal market bill, which never became an act, at least as far as Northern Ireland was concerned. You remember them thumping the table, saying they're going to invoke Article 16, which was a mechanism in the Northern Ireland Protocol to suspend uh, you know, aspects of the protocol that were offensive to the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And you even remember the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill, which Liz Truss was championing to put it all right. And they didn't do any of that. And I think he will be seen as someone who turned his back on Northern Ireland, who turned his back on the union of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And the, you know, the, the country has been set on a path by Boris Johnson, which is awful. And with the benefit of hindsight over time, I think people may forget about Brexit, but they'll remember the damage Mm -hmm. done to the fabric of the United Kingdom. Would you have taken, interesting love, would you have taken a Remain vote in that 2016 general election with, you know, the view of carrying on the fight for what you would call a real Brexit over what we got, which was Brexit, but under Boris Johnson and the calamity that's been since? Sorry, just say that again, Ali. I, so, I, I miss that. Yeah. My, my question was, looking back, which is very easy to do, would you have taken a Remain vote in 2016 with the view of continuing to campaign for what you would call a real Brexit versus what we actually got, which was a Brexit vote followed by Boris Johnson and his withdrawal act? Well, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I would have taken Remain in 2019, even after we'd voted to leave, I would have taken Remain over his withdrawal agreement mm-hmm. um, because I could see the damage his withdrawal agreement was going to do. Um, 2016, by the way, if, if the country had voted to Remain, I wouldn't be on your radio show right now. The only reason I got involved in politics was because Theresa May promised to get it done didn't do it to be honest uh, i don't think this, then, i don't know. think i don't think this radio yeah. show would have existed if that particular butterfly had fallen <laughs> the right. other way uh ben <laughs> what? i'd be happily doing running my business and not doing any of this uh, nonsense. mate <laughs> uh, I, I would also probably be a little bit a little bit happy and a few gr- less gray hairs uh, on either side of of my head um last while i've got you i've got to get you um get a response from you on some of the um latest data that's come out now that we do have Brexit, which is the Department for Business's Trade has surveyed 3,000 companies and has revealed that three out of five, so 58% of them, think these free trade deals um, have had no positive impact and will have no positive impact. Now, remember, free trade deals were the big bullet that was um, that was lauded during um, the election campaign. Um, in 2017, 73% of companies had said there was a big demand for British goods and services. That's now down to 55%. This is an island, is it? This is clearly some of the theories of Brexit not working. Well, I think trade deals have been completely overhyped. You know, people trade with each other because they have products they wish to buy and sell to each other. The biggest individual trading relationship we have with the country is with the United States. And we have a very balanced trading relationship with the US. You know, funny enough, I don't know if you're aware of this, Ali, but the US thinks they run a trade surplus with us. And we think we run a trade <laughs> surplus with them. So both yeah. countries are very happy with it. Now, of course, um, Joe Biden, when he came most recently, was less than um, complimentary about any expansion of a trade deal with the UK. And um, actually, I, I not very complimentary about deals, the UK in general. But No, I, he's, not, he's not really pro-Brit. But I, I, I think trade deals are overhyped. I think it's much more important to get your domestic economic uh, taxation regulatory policies right so that British businesses, all the way from, you know, services through to manufacturing and everything else, um, actually produce really good stuff and have a really competitive edge over the rest of the world. If you do that, if you get your domestic policies right, you will sell stuff abroad. Of course, it's great to have a trade deal, but in of itself, it does not generate trade. But at least in the short to to medium term, United Kingdom, it it seems in the short term, it seems to have had a damaging impact on British businesses. What has? Brexit. uh, Brexit. I I don't think that's right. If you look at the trade figures, that's what the data says. Yeah. And the problem with the data is we've had this massive spike in inflation and unpicking the impact of inflation is very difficult. But if you if you just look at the bare figures, actually exports from the United Kingdom have gone up quite dramatically over the last couple of years. But but as I say, you know, it's all a bit nebulous because you have to unpick inflation from the numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Even trade with the EU has gone up dramatically since you know since uh, 2021 mm-hmm. when lockdowns ended. And I think uh, again, the majority or nearly half uh, the poll suggests want uh, closer relationships, and I'm sure that discussion will be had certainly if Labour um, come into power. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you've been brilliant, and I'm sure thank we're going to have you back on um, it, it soon, depending on where the butterflies <laughs> fall. Thank you so much. That was Ben Habib, senior advisor to Reform UK uh, and former MEP and senior Brexiteer. I think it was really interesting, particularly what he said about Boris um, Johnson. But as ever, a uh, couple of weeks have passed where I've not been on air, but my my, my, my my views have not changed. And that is that my favorite part of the show is the word on the street. And that is when our wonderful producers go out onto the streets of North London to ask what people really think. Our question this week was, if there was a Brexit referendum tomorrow, how would you vote and why? Uh, I would definitely um, join the EU again just because everything is so expensive now it's harder to import things there's been a massive uh, rise in food prices that's really noticeable so yeah definitely vote to join again I mean why did we even like leave in the first place yeah yeah we definitely vote to stay in yeah Yeah. Yeah, I think definitely rejoin if we can Um, it's kind of sad to see the way this place has changed since Brexit happened particularly with international students Um, and it's it's really costing us a lot Um, yeah, a horrible decision, uh, personally. We would have preferred that that wouldn't have happened. We just need to make it work and adapt. 
Well, there you have it. Brexit has failed. Let's rejoin, according to the people uh, of North London. Now, Rishi Sunak's comms people would have a wonderful time with that, given that it was North London. They'll be going crazy, going, that's North London, that's not north of the UK. But these people exist as well. And I think it's really important to show that it's not actually just not actually just North London, but the data and the YouGov poll overwhelmingly supports the position that Brexit has failed, despite uh, what I would call as excuses from Ben. Now, the reason I didn't, I didn't have much of a row with Ben is I think it's really interesting that we understand stand each other and that's what kind of what Anand said is that the debate has kind of gone into an unreasonable area and the only way that we can recover it is if we attempt to um, understand each other a little bit more but it's irrefutable that 61% of Britons believe that Brexit has left the country worse off one in five Brexit voters have changed their mind according to YouGov uh, so that's Brexit voters going to remain voters so it would have been flipped to 58 42 god those numbers are going to haunt us uh, forever but we've had a brilliant show back I hope you've missed me um, and thank you so much to our guests Anand Menon Director of, Cha- of UK in a Changing Europe Ben Habib Senior Advisor to Reform UK former MEP Jeremiah Emmanuel Youth Activist Public Speaker and Entrepreneur former MEP Jeremiah Emmanuel Youth Activist Public Speaker and Entrepreneur you can follow the show on Twitter at Politics Fubar on Instagram at Politics Fubar I am Ali Milani UK I'm on TikTok Instagram Twitter and whatever or whatever Elon wants to create next I will see you next week Salam Thank you.